0: All right. First of five weeks on prayer. I was thinking about the story of the um, militant atheist. He was enjoying nature from a purely scientific standpoint, out hiking one day, and he hears rustling in the leaves behind him, and out comes a seven-foot grizzly bear. So he takes off running for his life, and he turns around, and the grizzly bear's running faster. And as he turns back, he trips on a log and ends up on the ground. And as he rolls over, the grizzly bear is right on top of him. And spontaneously, the lifelong atheist said, Oh, my God! The scene stops. A cloud opens, and a light shines down from heaven. And the atheist hears a voice, So you've been denying me your whole life, and now when it matters, you want my attention. And the atheist paused and thought for a minute, and he says, well, I suppose when I've been so rebellious my whole life, it's a little too much to try to become a Christian right now, but can you do me a favor? Can you make the bear a Christian? The shaft of light disappears, and the scene reanimates, and the bear on top of him says, for this meal we are about to receive, we give thanks, O oh Lord, in the name of Christ our Savior, amen. I tend to think... Even those of us that have been on this journey and following Jesus for many years pray a lot more like that atheist than we'd like to admit. Prayer for most of us is a last resort. We go through life, everything's fine, and suddenly things go wrong, and we go, oh, yeah, there's prayer. Barna, several years ago, did a survey of Christians in the spiritual disciplines, and most said that they do not pray when they're alone. They do not pray privately, which says, in fact, that prayer is not really something that's a part of their spiritual journey. It's just part of something they do as a religious habit. Several years ago, EBS did a special on prayer. It was very interesting to hear even the secular world's take on prayer. I have one of the cartoon clips they use, and I thought it'd be great to launch our series by playing that for you today. So direct from PBS to you, here's the video.
1: Hey, hello to all you cats out there in paradise. You're listening to KGOT. This next one goes out to a special little lady working the prayer hotline. Heaven, hold please. Thank you for holding, how may I direct your prayer? A date for the prom? No problem. This is Heaven, your prayer please. A promotion? One moment. Heaven, may I help you? The Cubs to win the World Series? Oh yes, that would be miracles, I'll connect you. Heaven? Oh, hi Mr. Crow, I just love your movies. Oh yes, we see everything up here. Oh yeah, I'm sorry about that. But hey, you won last year. No, you're right, it's not the same. Okay, let me connect you to our grievances department. Good luck, Mr. Crow. Russell. Oh my God! Oh no, I I didn't mean you, boss. Right, Uh uh-huh, okay, right away. Heaven, may I help you? Lucifer? Oh, I'm sorry, but he's no longer with us. No problem. Heaven, your prayer, please. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, I don't mean to discourage you, but we have a very strict policy about that, and it comes straight from the top. We cannot, under any circumstances, ever cancel a PBS Pledge Drive. Sorry. Oh, it's time for my break. Welcome to Heaven. You've reached our automated prayer line. For Jesus, press 1. For Moses, press 2. For Buddha, press 3. For Allah, press 4. For Oprah, press 5. And for movie times, press 6. Thanks for calling heaven.
0: Heaven. us have this idea that prayer is mostly a request line, a hotline to God. In Luke chapter 11, another passage where we see the Lord's Prayer taught, we see how this teaching came about. I'm just going to read it for you. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And from that flows the teaching that we're about to dive into for the next five weeks. Lord, teach us to pray. The Greek word there is urgent. Lord, teach now us to pray. They had been watching Jesus now for months and months, and Scripture tells us that it was often his habit to head off and spend time alone in prayer with God. God. And whatever it was that his disciples saw in Jesus was so different from their own religious experience when it came to prayer that finally, when he came back again, having spent another time where he just seemed to be in a different place than their prayers ever took them, they said to him, Lord, teach us now. There's this sense of urgency. Two questions come to my mind. First of all, why so urgent? I mean, after all, these are Jewish men. These are the people of Jehovah. They came from a rich heritage of prayer. If anyone had a direct line to the ear of God, it was the Hebrew people. Why so urgent? Somehow what they saw in him transcended their own experience. And then the second question I think of is, what's there to learn (laughs) how can it be so hard? Do we need to ask for directions when we come up to the customer service desk, or do we just come? When you go to a doctor's office, do you worry about all that you have to do in advance so the doctor knows how to do his job? No. You trust that they figure it out. You just show up and let the doctor heal you. When you go to a fast food restaurant You don't worry about getting directions in advance for what you're going to do when you get there. You walk up to the counter, you see the menu, you put in your request, you pay your money, and you get your food. What is there to learn? We all pray all the time when we need to. What was it about what they saw in Jesus that was so different that they even bothered to ask? Lord, we realize... With what we see in you, that with all that we know and have done in prayer, we don't know the first thing about us. Teach us to pray, and teach us now. You see, like disciples, most of us don't, when we really think about it, have much of a prayer life. We know we ought to, but compared to some of the things we see in Scripture, not just Jesus, but the Daniels and the Moses and others like them, we pale in comparison And so because it never quite meets up to our expectations, the reality is most of us fail on a regular basis to even get on our knees in the first place. And so we're going to start today by just exploring what is it that keeps us off our knees in the first place? Why is it that we fail to pray even in the way we know now how to, in the best way that we can? And I want to list eight things, and they're all alliterated. The first one is previous disappointments. In my years of pastoring, I've met a lot of people who have just given up on prayer because at a time of highest need and expectation, the way it turned out wasn't what they thought God should have done. So if it's not going to turn out the way I'm asking, if God's not going to answer my prayers, then why bother previous disappointment? I was reading recently an article in Christianity Today Online. And this particular article was about an open forum where pastors, this is a room filled with pastors from all of the United States, wrote anonymously to this panel of leaders about their prayer life. And it was startling how many of them said, I don't pray. Pastors, leaders of churches. One note in particular said, I've been praying for 30 years. I can't remember a single answer to prayer. That's startling when even our leadership is so disillusioned about what ought to be our most vibrant conversation as Jesus followers, and that's with our Heavenly Father. Previous disappointment. Second, too many distractions. It's hard to get on our knees and go through the discipline of speaking to a God we cannot touch that often seems to be a one-way conversation when there's so many things that if we just apply some energy to it, we'll see real results. (laughs) Whether it's a project around the house or bills to be paid or some particular need or some task or some relationship to be developed, those human give and take issues in life often can keep us from doing what we feel is the intangible and the theoretical. Too many distractions. How about this one? Lack of discipline. Would you agree with me? That's one of the things that keeps you off your knees. Push comes to shove, even the free time goes to other activities. We just can't really discipline ourselves to get into the habit of prayer. Fourth, our attitude of self-dependency. The idea of helping ourselves, being self-dependent, self-made, actually gets in the way of our dependency on God and therefore keeps us off of our knees. Five, an area of disobedience. Let's admit it. If there's one reason why we're not going to get on our knees privately to God is because of the private sins in our lives that we know are there, some of which only one other person knows are there, and that's God. And when we're insisting on continuing in this level of disobedience, we know we're not going to talk to God, right? Disobedience keeps you off your knees. Six, we struggle with disbelief. In the end, all of us allow me to say this, have a degree of atheism. We are all a mixture of both belief and disbelief. When we come to God, the strength of our faith is, for most of us, and I would confess for me, best represented by the father of the epileptic who cried out to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's the unbelief side that often keeps us from turning to God because we're just not so sure if we turn that we won't have that disbelief confirmed. Seven, we haven't been discipled well. If that experience at the Desiring God conference speaks to where Christian leadership is right now in our nation, no wonder we are so impoverished in terms of our prayer life because even our leaders are not able to show us how to pray We haven't been taught well. Jesus' original disciples, who had gone through a strong regiment of spiritual training as young men, said, I I need to learn to pray. I haven't been taught well. See? And then eighth, we don't give a hoot. Yeah, you're welcome to finish the alliteration in your notes, but I'm not going to say it from the pulpit. We really don't care. Push comes to shove. We care about other things and about time with God. Would you agree that these summarize a lot of the complex issues that get in the way of you and your prayer life, and therefore a fulfilling sense of God's presence and work in your life? I would say that they're the very things I struggle with. It's interesting because Scripture says so much about prayer, you can basically make it say whatever you want to make it say about prayer. This, to me, would be what I think for most Christians is our prayer construct. In other words, we'd take different teachings from Scripture and turn them into our idea of prayer. For instance, Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus' words, absolutely true. John 16, 24, Jesus said, you have not asked yet in my name. And so ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person avails much. Jesus again in Mark 11, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. It's these places that we tend to focus when we want to look at prayer. And were we to start at those points and create a prayer construct, this essentially would be our belief about Prayer. How do I get my prayers answered? First, be a good person. Prayers of a righteous man avail much. Second, ask God. Third, believe really hard. Fourth, end your prayer with the words, in Jesus' name. If you do that, God answers prayer, a.k.a. You get what you want. Because that's what, for most of us, prayer ends up being. How do I find the magic words and the magic approach that gets God to give me, to give me what I've decided I need and hunger for, some of which are very noble and good things. But as long as we see prayer simply as learning how to manipulate a process, we are in desperate need of prayer teaching. We've constructed ideas from prayer by going to the wrong places first. My very first car was a Vega. Anybody remember the Vega? To show you how sporty this Vega was, it was a white station wagon. My dad brought me to help me buy this car. It was $320 at a used car dealer. It looked pretty good, it was pretty clean. I sort of knew how to drive a stick shift, but wasn't so good at it yet, so my dad drove it, and the gears seemed to work fine, seemed to have good pickup. We thought, 320 bucks, we'll we'll buy it. My dad is not a mechanic, so as best my dad could, he prepared me to drive the Vega. On the way home, he let me drive, and he carefully made sure I knew how to work the clutch, how to get my foot off the clutch at the right time so I didn't wear it out. My dad knew how to drive a stick shift for sure. I took that Vega and wanted it to become a sport car, desperately. I had a friend who had all the stuff he needed to work on cars, and I took that white Vega, and I painted it metallic gold. <laughs> and I went and bought some remnants of psychedelic colored carpet and did everything I could to soup up that car. About two weeks after I'd done all that, it started smoking, took it back to the dealer, and then needed to rebuild the engine. Well, my dad and I didn't have that type of expertise. Didn't know to look under the hood. And then about two weeks later, I'm driving into the church where I'm a youth pastor, and they had this little bump that had to get up into the parking lot. And so as I hit that bump, all of a sudden, <laughs> my rear axle just falls right off, and I drive onto the asphalt with my axle and the two wheels dropped out behind me. See, I think for most of us, When it comes to prayer, we just want to learn how to drive the car. And that's all all the teaching we get, too, because so many of us don't know any better. And so we show them how to go through all the right motions. All we care about is that we can get in it, drive it, and get it to go for us where we want it to go. And we never think to look under the hood or check under the floor bed. You see, if we're going to become people who are real people of prayer, we have to not just ask how do I pray? We have to really start with a more basic question, and that is, what is prayer? We have to be willing to look under the hood, even though it's foreign territory. By the way, my next car, that was a sport car. Toyota Celica Liftback, 74 hours, beautiful car. I drove for about six months, the engine started going click, 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 had no idea what that was. I drove into a mechanic, and he said, You know, you got no oil in here? Oh dear. My question was, What's oil? So I went through that one, too. <laughs> see, the point is, that's how most of us work through our prayer life. We just stumble along because nobody's taught us the more base things. Now, when it comes to cars, you see, the good thing is now we've got Valvoline and Jiffy Lube and a local mechanic, and we can hire professionals who know how to take care of our car as long as we plan it roughly every 3,000 to 5,000 miles. Get somebody else who knows what a car is, all I want to do is get in and drive. Unfortunately, we can't do that with prayer. With prayer, you have to get down on your knees and get a little dirty and come to understand what prayer is meant to be. When the disciples started asking Jesus to teach them about prayer, He taught them what prayer was. Now we don't quite see this text that way. We've turned it into a how-to. But as we're going to dig through it over the next five weeks, what we're seeing is that Jesus is taking them to mechanics class, not to driving school. Does that make sense to you? And, And I think that is the beginning. What really is prayer? If we don't know that, then these verses can be abused and misused. You start by understanding what prayer was really meant to be, and that's exactly where Jesus started And so, in Matthew chapter 6, we're just going to begin looking at this passage. We're not going to dig into the actual, what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, which is really more the disciples' prayer. We're not going to actually dig into those words, but we're going to look at the beginning real quick and just see how Jesus begins to approach this. Verse 5, "'When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by men.' So before he gets into what for us is not just words to say to God, but is the real school of what prayer is meant to be, that's what the Lord's Prayer is. It tells us what prayer is, and we're going to learn that over the next few weeks. Before we get into that, Jesus does some corrective work. He has to start by saying, what you now think of as prayer is not prayer. And he mentions two particular groups, the hypocrites. Who, who to Jesus were the hypocrites? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The only people Jesus ever got mad at were the religious leaders, who he called whitewashed sepulchers. He said, on the outside, you have everything right. Inside, you're dead. You're a cemetery. And they pretended to know the way to life. So when Jesus talks about the hypocrites, he's specifically talking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And then he talks about the pagans. The pagans are those, anyone outside of the Jewish people and how they prayed. So Jesus, first of all, has to do some corrective. And he mentions three quick things that we're just going to blow through here. The first thing he says is that we are somehow to understand prayer as something that we do secretly. Now, we do know that Scripture talks about all sorts of prayers. There's the prayer of the people. We know that there were prayer meetings in the book of Acts. We're told to pray at all times with many different types of prayer. What is it that Jesus is getting at when he says, pray in secret? He's correcting what prayer had become for the people of Israel. And here's the main point. If you can't talk to God when no one else is looking, then chances are there isn't a prayer you would say in public. That's the real deal. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Who stand on street corners and pray to God? Because what they're really doing is praying for the approval of men. They have their reward. So, just a couple of quick points under that. First of all, what Jesus is saying is that the goal of prayer is the Father's approval, not the crowds. The Father's approval, not the crowds. The hypocrites sought to please the crowds. Let me ask you a question. Do you pray when you're in the company of other believers and not pray when you're alone? Then you are exactly like the hypocrites. If you can muster up a prayer that is sincere and moving so that believers around you in prayer go, That is a person who knows God. But that same prayer doesn't happen when you're in your closet, then you're phony. That's just what you are. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's arguing for realism in our prayer. We need to understand that prayer ought to be something that we can do when it's just us and God. The second thing about it is that authentic prayer comes from the inner person. That's what he says. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, prayer is about who I am from the inside out, being in the presence of God who knows all of that. Third, pray secretly. God always rewards authentic prayer. That's what he says. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I want to distinguish between the word reward and answer. You notice what Jesus is promising here. He's saying that when real prayer happens, God always rewards that. Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to give you what you think is the answer you need. That's what we've turned it into because we've got our little prayer construct here. Say it, believe it, in Jesus' name. That's what we've turned it into. God does reward authentic prayer. We need to learn to see what that means. We'll learn that as we go forward. Secondly, he says, pray sincerely. This is very interesting. And when you pray, do not keep on praying like the pagans. You see, the religious leaders of the Jews, they prayed for public approval. They were hypocrites. The pagans prayed for some purpose of getting what they wanted because they didn't really have a path to God. All they had was repetition and wordiness. And so you said, don't pray that way. Don't pray with vain repetition. It's interesting, isn't it, that the church has turned this very prayer into vain, babbling repetition, something that you come to on a bead and say as part of a whole series of prayers in order to do penance, get your sins forgiven, or to somehow do some spiritual exercise. We have turned the very prayer that was meant to teach us about prayer into vain babbling and repetition, thinking that somehow just saying the words has some value to them. Jesus said, there's no value in that. And so, therefore, we need to just say what we mean and mean what we say. That's what God's looking for from us. He's looking for sincerity. And the third thing is, we are to pray specifically. It's interesting that I'm saying that because verse 8 says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I'm saying that there is an important set of things that we need to understand that need to embody our prayers. You see? But it's not about primarily our needs. See, that's what Jesus is saying. Your Heavenly Father already knows your needs before you ask. So that brings up this question. If God already knows, then why do we ask? Because we're going to see, obviously, there are give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. There are definite requests in this prayer that we're going to learn. Why ask if God already knows? And that's because prayer isn't just about the asking. That's what the pagans have turned it into. Prayer is just a means to acquiring. So we have two things that Jesus says, first of all, need to be correctives for all of us. In our spiritual community, if we can get great prayers out when other people are listening, but we can't manage to pray to God, then we pray like the hypocrites. If we can't pray in private, then we're not prayers. And then the second thing is when we pray just to get then we're like the pagans who have no relationship with God and think that formula and repetition is how we pray. But there is a specific way to pray. So prayer isn't just about the asking. Second, prayer primarily strengthens our bond with God. And then third, prayer deepens our dependency on God. I think Those two ideas need to break into our tendency to pray just to receive and change everything. First and foremost, prayer is about strengthening my bond and deepening my dependency on God. That's what Jesus had in mind when the disciples begged him, now, Father, right now, because we can't wait another minute. What we've seen you experience on your knees before your heavenly Father shows us we don't know the first thing about this, Tell us now what it really is all about. We start by saying this is primarily about our bond with God. That's what prayer, first and foremost, is. And we're going to see that as we go through here, and it's going to transform us. But I'm going to start just by quickly letting you know the first and best prayer that you can make as a believer. I'm going to give it specifically. Here it is, write it down. Lord, teach us to pray. Don't you think that's a good starting point? Lord, show us what it is we're doing. And here's something. They prayed it urgently, and Jesus answered it immediately. And we can count on that too. Father, as we come into this study, I think the starting point for us is just like the disciples. We need you to break up our preconceptions, to dispel them so that we can come afresh and just see prayer, first of all, for what it is, not how we do it. And Father, we we want that. We want to be in the school of prayer, your school of prayer. So we are begging you urgently, teach us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen.